Um, do you know the, um, one of the hardest things about being British, I think? Um, we don't like to receive gifts. Or, well, I don't mean we, we do like to get gifts, but if somebody gives us something, we feel duty-bound to get them something in return. You know, at Christmas, when old friends send you a card, instead of being immediately grateful for being remembered, you feel guilty that you didn't send them one. You know what I mean? And, or if somebody invites you for a meal, um, not only do you have to bring something with you as compensation for the fact they have to suffer your company, you know, chocolates or flowers or wine or something, but you actually plan in your head when you're going to return the favour. So uh, we've got to do something to get them back. And that's why what I could be, what I'm about to talk about could just blow your mind and change your life. Why? Because one of the hardest aspects of the Christian message for people to grasp is what we call in the jargon grace. Um, God's salvation, his rescue plan for lost and confusing lives is completely free. An undeservable, unrepayable gift. You and I can be made right with God, despite all the wrong stuff of our lives, because Jesus Christ has given us this gift. He has taken both the penalty of the mess of our lives, our sin, and destroyed its power over us. He sets us free. And I should tell you, it's great to have a church full, but actually God isn't impressed by our religion. He's not impressed because you just turned up here today. He doesn't forgive us because we live a good life, or say our prayers, or turn up in church. This is God's gift to us. This is awesome, no strings attached, no paybacks, because it's something that he offers us because he loves us. We're forgiven and given a new life because all that we owe God for our lives has been paid for by Jesus Christ. And so we're free, free to live a new life. And that distresses English people. Because that objection sums, well, if we can be forgiven and given a new life in Jesus Christ, and it's all for free by grace, whatever we've done and whatever we will do, there must be a catch. You don't get something for nothing, do you? Surely you can't get something as amazing as being a, a new forgiveness and an eternal life for free. And if you can, why bother doing religion then? Why bother coming in church? Because honestly, even though you've got comfy chairs here, I mean, you know, you could be lying under a duvet. And if we're going to be forgiven anyway, why bother doing anything religious? Or as Paul said in one of his letters in chapter 6, verse 1, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, if it's a free gift, why don't we just live it up and just abuse the privilege? Walk away from the God who gives us the gift and ignore him afterwards. Well, you'll be glad to know, he says there, by no means... See, the point is, some gifts you don't deserve or earn, but change your life. So, perhaps a marriage proposal. Don't force it. But if you receive it, you'll never be the same again. Or a new baby lands in your life. You see, God's grace is one of those sorts of things. God's grace saves you, but it also changes you. See, it isn't just the penalty of the wrong of our lives, our sinning that is paid for by Jesus' death, but the power of sin in our lives is broken too. Our passion for sinning is removed. Why? We don't want to do it because something's changed. And that's the sign of what the Christians call baptism. 
That's what it points to. Firstly, that Christ paid the penalty of our sin. Baptisms are not naming services, by the way. They sign and seal the promise of God. They give a visual aid to something that he's done for us. Because baptism reminds us that Jesus' death was in our place. Verse 3. Don't you know all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death. See, here's the thing. If you want to get rid of something that's wrong, you have to get rid of all of it. If you've got a cancer that would kill you, you don't want to just get rid of bits. Death is the only way to deal with our selfish, self-indulgent, wrong hearts. It needs killing. It needs changing forever if we're to know life. And of course, Jesus had no sin of his own to die for. He, uh, he didn't deserve that. He instead offered his death in our place. And when by faith we say, thank you, I trust that you have done what you promised to do for me, he goes on to offer us this new life as well. If Jesus' death means our sin has been dealt with, killed in his death, because he conquered death, we're now free to live a new life in God. As it says, we were buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the death through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Here's what changes Christianity. We have a new life from Jesus that gives us a new start, a new start here and now and forever. One of the issues that's had a lot of um, currency in our culture at the moment is the issue of um, modern-day slavery, where people have been trafficked into this country tricked, they've had their passports taken, they can't get away, they're given horrible jobs, threatened with violence if they don't do them, and they're locked up every night, unable to escape. It's a horrible evil that churches have been in the forefront of highlighting and opposing. But imagine for a moment you're one of them, that you, and somebody comes in and tells you, I've come to set you free. Here's a new passport, a home, a new home you can call your own. And I'll give you a new job so that you don't have to live in this slavery anymore. What do you do? Well, you'd first have to believe them, wouldn't you? I mean, nothing would change if you didn't actually take what they offer and receive the new passport, the new identity to live as a free person. But you then have a choice. Do you live the new life on offer? Do you live in the new home that you're given with a new job? Or do you go back to the sweatshop and carry on working for the criminal's who put you into slavery in the first place. Well, you think, well, that'd be crazy, wouldn't it? Paul says, yes, it would be crazy because if Jesus offered to set you free from slavery to sin, don't go back and live there anymore. Don't be crazy. Be a new creation. Live the new life that Jesus is offering. It's a bit like in baptism. If you go down into the water, we are. That one. If you're doing it that way, that going under the water symbolizes dying. I know that because I'm, I do occasionally do things like that. And trust me, if you go down and you're kept down and the minister doesn't let you up, your life doesn't live very long. It's actually a powerful symbol. But, but the new life that Jesus gives says, come up out of the water again and live a new life. Live a life free from the sin and selfishness that's wrecked it. So verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin as anyone who's died has been freed from sin. What changes for Christians? 
is not just that we're set free, but that we have an offer of a new life. We're not just forgiven by Jesus' death. We're given a new life to live differently by his resurrection. He pays the penalty, but gives us the power to live. And that's where we go in the next part of the reading, which is just that Christ gives us power for a new life. What actually changes if you're a Christian? Well, several things change. Firstly, Christ's presence is in our hearts. Verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. See, when you share your life with somebody you love, when you're given a reason to change, then that will change everything. A friend of mine, uh, a good few years ago now, um, used to be a 30-a-day smoker, and he tried everything. Patches, hypnosis, sticking needles in him, and I think it's sort of, apparently a thing. Um, and all of those failed. And then in a period of a month, he gave up. He met a girl. I met a girl who he fell in love with, he eventually married, and she hated smoking. Her presence and his love for her meant his life changed. Something he'd never had the power in his own will to do before by sharing his life with someone he loved, he found that new will. Live each day with Jesus Christ and you'll find your life is changed. The stuff that's fed in from adverts and TV about how you've got to realize your potential and you're worth it will change because you're loved. And he'll share your life and show you life. So his presence changes that. But Christ's priorities in our minds change. You know, when I do um, marriage prep with people over the years, I mean, you do have to remind, particularly the men, that once you're married, you can't go out living as though you're single. Go out partying every night or down the pub or whatever. Because, technically you could. But because, you know, men are particularly thick, you're given a wedding ring to remind you that when you're tempted to go back to the way you live, you actually have sealed your life in love of another person. And you're reminded you have responsibilities for more than yourself. But you love them. See, a Christian could live as though they were still slavery to sinning, but by baptism, we're reminded to love the one who loves us, who lives in a new life with us. And the secret of the good life is in the mind, knowing who we are before God, knowing what the sacrifice Jesus made to free us, knowing the purpose for our life. Love the ways of Jesus, and you'll find that his priorities will shape the way you think. Listen to his word, and his life will change your heart and mind. But it's not just his presence and priorities, it's also his practices that change our lives. Now, I'm old enough to be um, a bit of a Bob Dylan fan. I went to see him at the NEC when he was in uh, England years ago, just after he'd come to a faith in Jesus. And he wrote this song, You've Got to Serve Somebody. It was on the Slow Train Coming album. He said, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. I think he's right. I think this choice that we're given in a life is you can indulge yourself. You can say, well, I'm worth and it's all about me. Or you can say that this life is actually made for love. It's actually made for where we give ourselves away and to the one who shows us that way supremely as Jesus Christ. A life lived with him has a different purpose. And if sin is fundamentally self-serving, Christianity is fundamentally Jesus-serving. 
So instead of following what suits us, we follow the example of Jesus, verse 13. Don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. And Paul is simply saying this, he is conscious that everything you do will either be serving evil, things that are wrong, or serving the one who saved you, Jesus. You can either be a slave to the sweatshop or you can be living in your freedom. We either follow the devil's example, rebellion and selfishness, or we follow Jesus' example, selfless service and love. So here is God's amazing free gift. Jesus paid the penalty that frees us. He gives us power by his presence and his priorities and practices to change us. That's what baptism is all about. Death to one life, power for a new life. But here's really what I wanted to say. Why is this gift of a new life something that people are so reluctant to receive? If you're not a Christian here this morning, why wouldn't you want it? And I think it's this. It's what they call Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome is something that happens to people who've been held captive or hostage for too long. Even with somebody who might be abusing them, they form a bond with their captors. They freely start to comply with their captivity. And they confirm and they do what their kidnappers want. Now, it seems to me We're living in a culture that brainwashes us into accepting a slavery. Look out for number one. Keep up with the Joneses. Wear the latest fashions. Follow the trends. And most people do that without question, forgetting that it's that sort of selfishness that breaks relationships. It's fashions that enslave us to conform. There's no freedom there. And you might want to say, well, I'm not a slave. So why aren't you wearing flares and tank tops? Who told you they wouldn't keep you warm and function as clothes? Well, fashion does. Why have you not got an iPhone, an iPhone 10 anymore? Because it was, iconically, the phone to break all phones. Now we're on 15. Who tells you? Who are you slave to? No freedom there. But people love that sort of slavery. Even Christians do occasionally. But Jesus is saying this gift is going to change your life, save your life, change it forever. So let me leave you these two simple questions. Who do you want in charge of your life? That's a question that is in the next little section um, in verse 16. You know, if, if a footballer transferred, so I'm was born, brought up in Manchester, if you know Eric Harland or somebody got transferred from City to United, in the next derby game, would it matter who he scores goals for? I mean, if you've been in United for years, surely it'd be okay to still score goals for United even though he transferred, or the other way around. Well, of course it matters, because if you're in a new club, you can't still play the old game. And being Christian isn't just us trying to live a better life, it's serving a new master Sinning is now playing for the enemy. And of course, we might fall and fail. Even footballers score own goals occasionally, but they shouldn't do it intentionally. It should matter deeply to us when that happens. Who's in charge? 
you'll freely give up the responsibility of life when you know somebody loves you and will love you to the end of that. That's why husbands do the washing up or go shopping for clothes. Not because they want to, but because they love the one who does want to. See? Love gives itself away. And love gives you a heart for someone else in charge. Jesus Christ's love is to be lived. So who do you want in charge of your life? And secondly, what do you want to get out of your life? All of us know that selfishness is deadly. We all do, and yet why is every single advert on our telly geared up to indulging yourself? We know it's bad for us, and yet we all follow that trail. See, you can treat things as though they're not deadly, but if, they, if you do, they spread. Remember COVID? It's just a bad cold. So it's saved to the bitter. But if you ignore it, it spreads, gets out of control, and kills people. And there, for COVID, we had to fight it hard. Vaccines and masks and immunize and social distance. In other words, you do what you can against something that is deadly. Friends, selfishness is deadly. Why wouldn't you do everything you can to change it? And ignoring it and going back to sinning if you've come to Jesus Christ is even worse. When this new life we're given still has things that can wreck it. But what Paul is saying, when you realize that the new life you're given from Jesus is eternal, and you're given freedom from that selfishness in, that modern life drives us with, you get something else that lasts. You get something that our culture has lost, something that will change your life today, and that is hope. Hope the hope that your life, whatever its failings, will always be loved, will always have significance because it's shared with the person who has promised that the life he gives you will not end by death. You will live forever. It will not be lived in selfishness, but in a selfless love, a selfless love that actually is what makes the universe run. So what do you want to do if today you want to start a new life with this? What do you want to do if you want to be forgiven of the mess we make and live with the one who saves from death? Or if perhaps we know that life is ours, but we've actually gone back into the sweatshop and we've been living as though that isn't the way to live. Well, there are two things. There's one simple action. Receive him as Lord and Savior. Trust him to give you the new direction for your life in the way his word reveals. Trust him to deal with those problems and the failures by the forgiveness that he brings. You see, if you want this gift, it's free. It's a gift of love that God is offering. And even if you want to find out or not whether it really is as good as it sounds, you can try. There's no comebacks. You can receive it today. For those in the modern generation, you can swipe white, right, swipe right. Say yes. Ask him and he'll change your life. That's a simple action. And, and if you want to do that, one simple action that will change your life, I'm just going to pray for that. Because the God who knows us, knows, I'm going to pray this prayer. 
just so you know what's coming. But if you've never done it before, let me invite you, because it's free. I mean, I like jelly babies. I'm hoping for one at the end, but actually this is even better. This is a joy freely given. But actually, for many of us who are Christians, who've gone back into the sweatshop, this is the time to say no more. I want to live the way Jesus lived. I want to love the way that Jesus loves. I want to follow his way in serving others that Jesus served. Because I know that that's the way of life. So if you're ready for that this morning, do you just pray this quietly in your heart with me? And here's the prayer. It's on the screen. You can follow it. Just pray it in your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of a new life that you have died to bring me. Thank you for the new heart that your risen life gives to change me. I am trusting you now to receive your gift and share my life with you from now on and forever. Thank you, Jesus.